You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. An aluminum manufacturing giant in Norway has suffered a major ransomware attack. A new version of the Mirai botnet malware is targeting enterprise systems. The U.S. Homeland Security Secretary says the private sector and the U.S. government need to work together against cyber threats. Europol has a new cyber incident response strategy. And cybersecurity executives say some vendors' marketing tactics are having a detrimental effect on the security industry. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 19, 2019. Norway's Norsk Hydro, one of the world's largest aluminum producers, suffered an extensive ransomware attack last night against its facilities in Europe and the United States. The company said in a message to investors that IT systems in most business areas are impacted and Hydro is switching to manual operations as far as possible. The Norwegian National Security Authority, or NNSA, said the attack is suspected to have used a fairly new strain of ransomware called Locker Goga. A spokesman for Hydro told the BBC the company was able to continue production by reverting to manual methods and that it has data backups to restore from as soon as the attack is neutralized. Currently, however, Hydro is still working with the NNSA to contain the attack and identify the extent of the damage. Employees have been told not to turn on their computers or connect any devices to the network, and all communication is taking place via telephone, mobile devices, and text messages. There have been no safety-related incidents as a result of the attack. In a press conference this afternoon, Hydro's chief financial officer said, quote, The situation for Hydro is quite severe, adding that the entire worldwide network is down, end quote, affecting production as well as office operations. He said the attack began in the United States and escalated overnight, but he didn't specify which facility was first affected or how it was compromised. According to CyberScoop, the company has remelting facilities in Kentucky and Texas and has offices in Baltimore. The company's website is still down, and there's no time frame for how long the recovery may take. The Locker Goga ransomware was first spotted in January, when it was allegedly used in an attack against a French engineering consultancy called Ultron Technologies. Earlier today, researchers identified a new strain of Locker Goga uploaded to a public malware repository from a Norwegian IP address. Palo Alto Networks Unit 42 published a report yesterday on a new variant of the Mirai botnet malware. This version is using a total of 27 exploits, 11 of which are new. It's also targeting a wider range of devices, 
including We Present Wireless Presentation Systems and LG SuperSign TVs. Since these devices are meant for use in business environments, the researchers believe this new strain indicates a potential shift to using Mirai to target enterprises. Enterprises provide a larger attack surface and access to greater amounts of bandwidth, allowing for more powerful DDoS attacks. The researchers advise organizations to keep their devices up to date with patches. If a device can't be patched, remove it from your network. Mirai botnets have been used to carry out some of the largest DDoS attacks in recent years. These botnets are particularly powerful because they utilize embedded devices such as routers, modems, security cameras, and DVRs, which can generate massive amounts of data to be launched at a target. It's been a couple of weeks now since the team at Axonius took home the Most Innovative Startup Award at the 2019 RSA Conference Innovation Sandbox Competition. They describe their asset management solution as the Toyota Camry of cybersecurity challenges. Not particularly sexy, but ubiquitous. Nathan Burke is chief marketing officer at Exonius, and he tells us that before they could compete for the big prize, first they had to deal with getting the boss to San Francisco. It happened during um, the middle of two snowstorms on the East Coast, and so I got there early on Sunday but uh, Dean Sisman, who is our CEO and co-founder, who was supposed to be presenting, uh, did not have as much luck as I did and ended up um, sitting on the runway for four hours before his flight got canceled, then rebooked. And so he was going to miss the rehearsal, the judges' demos, and then maybe be there in time for the, the final presentation. So we just called an audible and said, all right, I've got to do this. And so uh, I changed up the presentation a little bit at the beginning to make it about my personal experience and then practiced a few hundred times and said, let's do this. And I guess it went pretty well for you. You guys came away as uh, the winners of the Innovation Sandbox. Yeah, I guess the judges saw something in a, in a company doing something that we're all calling uh, the most unsexy part of cybersecurity, and that's asset management. Well, take us through what exactly does your tool do? Yeah, so really we want to do exactly three things, right? So we want to be able to give customers uh, a credible and comprehensive asset inventory, everything they've got from laptops, desktops, servers, VMs, mobile devices, anything. If we can do that, then we can show them where they have gaps in their security coverage, and then we can automatically validate and enforce their security policies. And what's different about the way that Exonius has approached this is we just connect to all of the different security and management solutions that customers are already using. So we connect to these solutions, gather and collect all the information we can about assets and users. Uh, we correlate that together, and then we can show you how each of these assets uh, fits against their security policies. And this has been a persistent challenge for organizations to get a handle on this. Why has asset management been so challenging? Yeah, I think it's been so challenging because if you look at it over time, the more devices and device types that we have, the more solutions we have to manage them. And the more solutions that we have, the harder it is to ask basic questions around assets and how they adhere to the policy. And so just over time, when you think you start off with a PC on a network that um, is in a physical location, asset management is as simple as a guy with a clipboard, right? Mm -hmm. But then we move into the world of mobile devices, IoT devices, the cloud, and then it becomes really fractured and fragmented, and it just becomes very difficult to understand what you have. And so... It's been a challenge, um, and I think that's what one of the judges said um, you know, during the presentation uh, and, and the judging, which is 
you know, that, that he's lived this before, not being able to get a straight answer about assets. And I think one of the things that's nice is that now everything has an API. And so we're, we're kind of here at the right time where we can interface with all these solutions that know about assets, gather that information, correlate it together and present it back in a way that customers can, can query and find answers to the questions about assets very, very simply. Can you walk me through an example? I mean, what's a typical type of uh, asset that, that usually gets overlooked or is hard to track that you guys are able to get a handle on? Sure. A couple of good examples. I mean, I think there's an inevitable march to the cloud. And so we see more and more of our customers are, are using cloud instances like Amazon, yet the security tools that they had to uh, secure their on-premise um, instances and, and devices just don't necessarily work the same. And so a good example of, of that is, uh, I'm using Amazon, but my vulnerability assessment tool doesn't necessarily know about a new Amazon instance that's been spun up. And, and you know, we've said this uh, several times to customers, you know, I don't think there's ever been a time in history where DevOps said, hey, security, is it okay for me to spin up a new instance? <laughs> it just doesn't happen, right? And so what we're able to do is say, we've found these new Amazon instances. We can look at the VA scanner and say, all right, do you know about these? And if, if the VA scanner just isn't aware of the new instances, we can just kind of bridge that gap. And that's just one of the simple ones. And then another one that we see all the time is a company will say, I'm using an EDR or EPP solution um, and I've got it deployed everywhere. And then we find out that around 18% of their devices are missing that endpoint agent. Um, so that's something we're always able to find. And I think the idea is by being able to connect to all of the different solutions we have, we're able to uncover things that they wouldn't be able to just looking at that single management console. That's Nathan Burke from Exonius. Our congratulations to him and the whole team there for winning the 2019 RSA Innovation Sandbox. Homeland Security Secretary Kirstjen Nielsen said yesterday that emerging cyber threats are among her top concerns in the coming year. Nielsen believes that America is not prepared for these threats, saying that she's, quote, more worried about the ability of bad guys to hijack our networks than their ability to hijack our flights, end quote. She said that the private sector needs to work with the government to defend against these threats. Quote, it's not just U.S. troops and government agents on the front lines anymore. It's ordinary Americans. Threat actors are mercilessly targeting everyone's devices and networks, and they are weaponizing our own innovation against us, end quote. She added that our adversaries are using state-owned companies as a forward-deployed force to attack us from within our supply chain. The European Union has adopted an incident response protocol for major cross-border cyber attacks. A press release from Europol said the WannaCry and NotPetya attacks showed that previous incident response protocols were, quote, insufficient to address rapidly evolving cybercriminal modus operandi effectively, end quote. The new protocol gives a central role to Europol's European Cybercrime Center, and it aims to complement existing EU crisis management mechanisms. Four top cybersecurity executives at Fortune 500 companies told CNBC that some cybersecurity vendors resort to unsavory business practices in order to gain an advantage in the market. All four of the executives said they had encountered sales pitches in which vendors took advantage of the fact that small security flaws at a well-known company can generate major headlines. The vendors in these cases threatened to tell media outlets 
if the executives didn't listen to their entire pitch. Two of the executives also described vendors who have called to report emergency security incidents, only to give routine sales pitches once they got on the phone with an executive. Even when the issues they point to are real, some vendors don't differentiate between an imminent threat and a minor vulnerability. These marketing tactics have resulted in mistrust between cybersecurity executives and vendors, and they make it harder for both to identify and address the real threats. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He's the Dean of Research for the Sands Institute, and he's also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's great to have you back. Um, you know, back in 2018, certainly the CPU flaws, things like Spectre and Meltdown, uh, caught our attention. But uh, you wanted to point out some other flaws, so what you're describing as perimeter hardware flaws. What's going on here? Essentially, what this is about is if you're looking at uh, your standard computer mobile device, the CPU is only one of many chips that you find in these devices. And all these other chips, and I call them sort of perimeter chips, sort of sitting around the CPU, feeding it with data, well, uh, they're vulnerable too. And in some ways, sometimes actually more exposed than the CPU. 
And as one recent example are Wi-Fi chipsets. And here in particular, the Marvel Avastar. There was an interesting uh, paper that looked at that particular chipset. Now, these are names that usually don't ring a bell with anybody. Uh, I personally hadn't heard about this chipset yet, but hmm. well, it's in many Microsoft uh, Surface uh, laptops. It's in many Samsung laptops and such. So it's it's a widely used chipset, and it has some flaws that, as was demonstrated here by Dennis Selyanin, uh, can be exploited without the user doing anything and get full access of the system. Hmm. Is this a situation where, because these chips are on the motherboard, uh, the rest of the system has a a default uh, situation of trusting these chips, and and maybe they don't. Maybe that's going a little too far. Correct. That's part of the problem. The other side of it is that uh, these chips, well, uh, you know, there is no real hardware anymore. Everything has software in it. Mm. Uh, these are actually little systems on a chip. They have their own operating system. They have their own software running in it, uh, and uh, all of this, of course, vulnerable. And what makes it sort of worse also, because these are fairly minimum systems, a lot of the standard protections that we have that prevent exploitation sort of in normal operating systems, they don't apply to these chips. So in some ways, they're actually easier to exploit once you have a vulnerability, like a simple buffer overflow. Now, in a situation like this with these uh, auxiliary chips, would they be updated with a, with an OS update or, or a firmware update, or, or are they sort of baked in with what they have uh, when they're manufactured? Uh, that's actually the good part of it, that most of them uh, come sort of as a blank slate, and the operating system loads the firmware into that chip uh, as it's being booted. So yes, an operating system update usually can take care of these flaws if it is released. Hmm. Interesting. So what what, uh, what are people to do here? Is this a matter of uh, keeping up on the latest updates? That's pretty much the only thing you can do here. Uh, of course, not turn off your Wi-Fi card if you can turn it off uh, in public environments. Uh, but uh, that's, uh, I think, always difficult advice to follow. <laughs> uh, it's really difficult to do anything but uh, just uh, staying up to date and staying uh, up to date with your operating system patches. Now, I guess keeping an eye out to see if your particular device is one that might be vulnerable. Uh, yes, but it may actually be difficult to figure out what device is in your system. Oh. And then also, there is no real standard feed for these vulnerabilities. Uh, they're often not disclosed very widely, uh, like for operating system vulnerabilities. I see. Now, is this also a situation where... Uh, you know, as a motherboard is manufactured that, uh, you know, a certain percentage of the run might have one brand's chip in it and another percentage of the run might have another's? That's certainly possible, in particular different sort of subversions of the chip and some may be vulnerable, others maybe not. Or another case that can also happen is that the particular version of the chip that ha you have in, in your system uh, is no longer being supported and there are no more updates for it while the same laptop bought a couple months later has a new version that's still receiving updates. Hmm. That's interesting stuff. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.